Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative for today will be from the book of Revelation, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. The purpose of this mighty angel that we'll read about today is clear, to announce the final judgments on the earth, his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land indicates that his words deal with all creation, not just a limited part of, as did the seal and trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet will usher in the seven bowl judgments, which will bring an end to the present world. When this universal judgment comes, well, God's truth will prevail. And we see two scrolls in Revelation. Uh, the first contains a revelation of judgments against evil. The contents of the second small scroll are really not indicated here, but it also may contain a revelation of judgment. By saying that God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled, John was pointing to God's removal of all evil and the final exaltation of Christ as Lord. This pronouncement would bring fear to God's enemies. For God's chosen ones, however, it would bring hope and peace. Do you really long for Christ's return? Do you long for God and His people to be vindicated? You know, believers ought to pray for God's justice to be carried out and His plan fulfilled. We really should want Christ to come because of the triumph of His kingdom. Not because things are bad or because we want out of our struggles. No, pray expectantly for the fulfillment of God's plan. And now let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. December 19th. The New Testament, Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Then I, John, saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout, like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Keep secret what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. He said, There will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. 
Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. Now, sometimes we don't let people get to know us completely because we're afraid they'll discover something about us they won't like. But God already knows everything about us, even to the number of hairs on our heads continually. And still He accepts and loves us just as we are. God is with us through every situation. That's the theme in this psalm here today. He's with us. He walked with us in every trial, protecting, loving, guiding. He knows and loves us completely. Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8, a psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by troubles, You will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out Your hand, and the power of Your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out His plans for my life. For Your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for You made me. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. They are pure in their own eyes, but they are filthy and unwashed. They look proudly around, casting disdainful glances. They have teeth like swords and fangs like knives. They devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among humanity. The following audio is from The Refuge Church. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.org. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? 
And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and it said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Man, it's quiet in here. Thanks, Nicole. Well, that's the word of the Lord for this evening. We're in the book of Jonah. But again, good evening. It's good to be here. Uh, we're, celib- we're in the season of Advent, and maybe that doesn't mean much to you. Maybe you, you didn't grow up um, in a strong maybe church history or church tradition, but Advent simply means the coming. The coming. That last song we sang, it said, Come thou long expected Jesus. So who's coming? But we're celebrating Christ. We're celebrating how God has come and and how Jesus coming and what Jesus accomplished changes things. It changes things. But then the question becomes, why in the world then are we studying Jonah? What does Jonah have to do with this? Well, if you know anything about Jonah, Jonah was called to leave his comfort zone. Right? Jonah was called to leave his comfort zone. You know, his place his home in the suburbs and go minister to those evil sinners in Nineveh. Nineveh wasn't a place that he wanted to go. See, see, Nineveh to Jonah was a place where those other people hung out, right? Nineveh was that place where, where the other people were, those people of different color, of, of a different religion. They were unholy. They were the unlovable people. And Jonah, Jonah represented uh, Israel, the chosen people of God. And, and so what we know is that Nineveh was 500 miles northeast of Israel. 500 miles northeast of Israel. And what's interesting is, is Nineveh is called a great city. And God calls Jonah. He says, go to that great city. But we haven't answered our big question. We're in the season of Advent. Why are we, why are we studying Jonah? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, we're going to parallel. We're going to look at Jonah's call to, to leave his lovely, safe place of Israel, the, you know, the beautiful, safe suburbs, if you will, and to go to Nineveh, the great city, the evil city. And we're going to parallel this story with how Jesus left his home in heaven and came to earth to be with us. 
And so you've heard the text that, that Nicole read, and, and if you know your Bible, you might already be kind of picking up on some of the, the profound differences in those two stories. But you know what? I think what some of us are going to walk away with tonight and through the next few weeks is some of us are going to relate a lot with Jonah. Some of us even might begin to feel um, like him this evening. But we're going to look at three things tonight. We're going, to break, we're going to break tonight up into three sections. We're going, to, we're going to dissect from that passage Jonah's calling and how it affects us. Jonah's calling and ours. And then we're going to look at Jonah's response and ours. And then we're going to reflect on the fact that Jesus is the better Jonah. And so first point, Jonah's calling and our calling. In, in, in verse, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So right off the bat, what do we see? We, We don't get a whole lot of information. But what we know is that God calls out to Jonah. And there are there aren't a whole lot of details that are given. Go to this city and call out against it. Well, what am I to say? What am I to do? How, how am I to do it? Lord, is there a manual? No, go to the city and call out against it. It's pretty interesting, right? It's pretty interesting. Now, why would God call Jonah to do something and not give him more details? It'd be a little bit easier if there was more information, right? If there was a little bit more detail, if there's a little more information. And why Jonah? Why in the world did God call a guy like him? And so one of the big questions we have to ask ourselves is, do you think God calls those that are qualified to do his work? Or do you think God qualifies those that he calls? Might it be that God wants to transform the person he calls just as much as he's going to change the people that he's calling him to? Maybe. Because what we know is that God didn't call up Jonah and say, Yo, Jonah, my boy, it's me, God. I've noticed you're not struggling with sin or racism or ethnocentrism or pride or lust anymore. I've noticed that. And hey, I need you to pack up and head over to Nineveh because those fools are evil. Right? Tell them, I'm going to send you because you're good and I need you. Peace out. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. That's not how it works. And what we know, if we, if we, if we know the Bible, is that's not how anything in the Bible ever works. But we act as if that's the case. And I'll explain more about that in the coming weeks. But I think one of the first things we need to understand about Jonah's calling is that it's a lot like our calling. It's a lot like your calling. It's a lot like my calling. See, if you're a Christian... God did not save you for yourself. If you're a Christian, God did not save you for your comfort. What we see throughout the scripture is God transforming you so that you can be a part of the transformation of the world. And so what that means is, if God is about peace, then we should be about advancing peace now. What that means is if God loves the broken, 
then we should love the broken now. That's what that means. Let's move on. Let's look at Jonah's response. This is hilarious. And ours, okay? So Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. This is what it says. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You might be like, well, why is that funny? Well, it's hilarious because think about it. Jonah's representing Israel. And so Jonah would know about, he knows all about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's heard the stories about Egypt and God's miracle of delivering the Israelites from from the Egyptians. He's heard about David. He's heard about the kings and so on and so forth. And he actually thinks he's going to flee from the presence of God. Like, he's like, yeah, God, that's great. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away and he's not going to find me. This is funny. It's quite ridiculous. So God calls up Jonah. Jonah hangs up the phone and he runs to Tarshish. It's an interesting, interesting city. And Tarshish is, it, Tarshish is repeated three times. And, and we think that, that it's repeated so often because the Bible is just emphasizing that Jonah's like, hey, I am not going to Nineveh. And what we know about Tarshish is that it's actually a western coastland. And so if Nineveh is 500 miles northeast and Tarshish is is over here on a western coastland, we see that Jonah is literally just running the opposite direction. Get me as far away from that place as possible. And so he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And this is what verse 4 and 5 says. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah's called out by God and he disobeys. Right off the bat, man. He does exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. What I want us to realize right now, and I want you to get this, Jonah's not a noble guy. Jonah's not this noble, just person. He's not picked out by God because he's particularly worthy. Because if that were the case, then then we could make the argument that God doesn't know what he's doing. And that's definitely not the case. And so God doesn't pick him because he knows that Jonah's great. He obviously knows that's not the case. God calls someone who runs away from him. Isn't that interesting? So obviously Jonah, Jonah has some issues that he needs to deal with. This boy's got some issues. I mean, God calls the Ninevites evil and he calls Jonah to go help them. And what does Jonah do? He runs. What is disobeying God? Evil. Plain evil. So Jonah has some stuff he needs to work through, right? Jonah's got some stuff he needs to work through. I mean, he's got some prejudice. He's got some unforgiveness. He's got some lack of faith, some self-righteousness, some pride that he needs to work through. But what I want us to see is that God calls this guy, a guy just like you and I, someone who's not perfect, someone who doesn't have everything figured out, Someone who's still struggling with things? Why? Because listen to me. Because he's going to change Jonah while he's using him to accomplish his purposes. 
What does that mean for you? That means whatever God's stirring you and whatever you feel led to do, God's going to change you while he's using you to accomplish that. God's going to change you while he's using you to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes I think we get the misunderstanding that God somehow needs us. That God needs us to get his work done. And that's never the case. But the beautiful reality is, is that God invites us into his story. He welcomes us in and he says, come alongside. I welcome you in. Yeah, ragtag, messed up, all that. Come on in. Walk with me. Doesn't he? Have you read the Gospels? Give everything you have and follow me. Follow me. It's beautiful. And check this out. Verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And then verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. 16, The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Don't you think this, do you realize what's happening? Unbelieving fishermen begin to worship God despite Jonah's disobedience. People get saved after this fool is totally disobedient. God's work gets accomplished even though he is a total idiot. Here's the point. God will get things done despite us. I'm reminded of Luke 19, 37 through 40. It says, And as he was drawing near, Jesus, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they'd seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, you know, the religious rulers, the scribes, and the crowd, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Such a weird verse, right? What he's saying is, oh yeah, if they didn't do it, if they didn't do it, then these rocks would cry out. I don't need these fools. I don't need them. I'm God. I'm welcoming them into my story. Because if God is God, then he's sovereign. He made all this stuff, right? And so God accomplishes the things he wants done. But he graciously invites us into his story. And all the while, he changes us and he molds us into the image of his son. It's amazing. And so one of the first things, friends, that we need to realize is that God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. What does that mean? That means if any of us are ever going to do anything for God's glory, it's not, be, it's not going to be because you're good enough. Man, because none of us, we all come empty-handed. If the law demands perfection, brothers and sisters, we have failed. But Jesus changes us. Jesus welcomes us. So God calls Jonah. Jonah runs away. He gets into a boat. He goes to a place far away. A big storm occurs. Men in, and men in the boat get saved. It's crazy. And it's almost like we have to ask ourselves, was this a part of God's plan? You know? Like, did God know Jonah would rebel and meet up with these fishermen, and, and as a result, they would come to know Jesus? Maybe. God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. 
And so the big point here is God accomplishes his purposes and he invites us into a story to change us as well. And then we got this crazy verse, right? This verse we all get hung up on, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, when we think of Jonah, we think of this verse, don't we? We look at this peripheral text and the whole narrative becomes about this. And I don't have time to camp out here because we could camp out here for a long time. But if God made the heavens and the earth, if God made everything in them, if he was a part of that, do you think that he could historically and scientifically accomplish things that don't make sense to our intellect? And I'd be open to a conversation, but my my stance simply here with the time I have is just to say, I hope so. I hope that's the case. I hope that God's bigger than us. I hope. I hope God can accomplish things that we can't understand. And listen, I'm all about science. I'm all about thinking and stuff making sense, but never has science disproved God. And I believe if God created everything, then that includes all the discoveries that science makes so much clearer. And I applaud that. And if that's true, then it should just increase our faith because what that means is we serve and worship a very, very creative God. And see, the reasons that we don't see the fish thing happen very often is because it's, it's something that we call a miracle. And the reason we call it a miracle is because it doesn't happen all the time. And when miracles do happen, oftentimes what we do, people say, man, what just happened? We say, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Because if it, wasn't, if it wasn't a miracle, it would just be Wednesdays. Like if somebody's like, hey, he was in the belly of a fish, he got out three days later, and, and Joey's like, yeah, well, that, my friend, man, he got ate by alligator three days later, he's down by the river fishing. Like it's not normal. That's why we don't call it Wednesday. It's a miracle. Hence the name. It doesn't happen all the time. The essence of a miracle is that it's beyond what we can understand and dissect. And the hope is is that God's big enough for that. I digress. We will move on. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're going to talk more about the authority of the Bible um, probably in three weeks. And that's more of kind of what what this is all about. Third point, Jesus. Jesus is the greater Jonah. What in the world do I mean? Let's read John 1, 1 through 14. I love this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It's crazy words. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Speaking about John. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beautiful language. So much in there. So much we could dissect. And the the thing that that we're going to say about that this morning is simply that we see here that Jesus always was. If we believe that God's real, Jesus always was. Jesus has always been. Jesus is God's Son. He's always existed in relationship to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus left his home. Jesus left his perfect, celestial, beautiful home in the suburbs of heaven, and he came here. He came here. He came and took on flesh, and he lived in the same neighborhood as us, and he ate the same food as us, and he experienced the same toils as us. He was fully God, and he was fully man. So when Jesus says, I know how you feel, like in Hebrews 5.16, he means it. He means it because he dwelt amongst us. He humbled himself so much, I just got to read more scripture. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Gosh, it's crazy. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. So, Let's ask a question. Let's ask some questions. Jesus, God, became flesh. And did he take a crown? Did he take his residence in a mansion in the nice part of town? Did he socialize with all of the elite of society and with the folks that were in power? Did Jesus rule with prestige and with pomp? No. No, he didn't. Jesus was poor. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was crucified on a cross. When we see that cross back there, that was a crucifi- that was that was an execution device. He was crucified on a cross. In essence, Jesus went to the great city. And I love it. I love that, that Jonah, I love that the Bible uses that language uh, in verse 2 of our text this morning. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Isn't it cool that God cares about cities? Why in the world does that matter, right? I think it's interesting because, and for all sorts of reasons, one thing Keller often points out, he says, so goes the city. I'm paraphrasing. He says something to the effects of, so goes the city, so goes the culture. Cultures formed in cities. Policies determined in cities. There's more diversity in cities. Art is more celebrated and amassed in the cities. Universities are usually in cities. Business takes place in the cities. And think about it this way. There's lots of people in them. And you know a big difference between us and God? God loves people. And not just people like you. He most certainly does love you, but he loves everybody. 
And God called Jonah to go and minister to the people of the great city of Nineveh. Obviously, God wouldn't have called Jonah to do such a thing unless there would be an opportunity for them to change. And Jonah ran. Jonah refused to do it. Jonah disobeyed. Jonah was an Israelite. He was a chosen one. He had favor with God. He knew he was going to get to heaven. But when God said, go to the great city of Nineveh, Jonah refused. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to go. I won't go. And ultimately, think about this, friends. Let's just wake up for a moment. I know we're going on a little bit. Ultimately, think about this. God wasn't calling Jonah to live a sinless life. He obviously was a sinner. We see him in this text disobeying God. God didn't call him to take the sins of the world on himself. God didn't call him to a group of 12 disciples so he would pour out his life for them so so that they would eventually betray him. God didn't send him to be crucified on a cross to propitiate the sins of all the world. But that was Jesus' call. That's what Jesus came and did. And guess what? Jesus didn't refuse. And Jesus didn't run. Jesus didn't say, you know what? I'm doing fine right here. You know, I've earned this. I deserve this. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God, as a a matter of fact. You know, I'm fine right here. Jesus came to earth. Jesus left the perfection of heaven. He came here. And what I want us to realize is just the graciousness of that. The graciousness of that. He began ministering to the lowly, to the outcasts, to the pariahs of society, the sinners. He healed, he talked, he ate with, he exerted energy on, he served. He ultimately died for undeserving sinful people. Jonah ran. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, Jesus is the better Jonah. So in conclusion, what we need to realize is that many of us are just like Jonah. We're just like that boy. We're just like Jonah. We love God, some of us. Many of us have gone to church, you know. We've tried to be good so that people would think well of us. But we didn't really grasp the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're part of the reason that many folks say, yeah, I love Jesus, but those Christians, I'm not real crazy about those Christians. Well, duh, that's because there's a bunch of Jonas running around that make really terrible saviors. We all need a rescue. We all need Jesus' grace. And I would, I would go as far to say that, you know, you're not perf- I'm not perfect. None of you are perfect. And so why do you keep searching for a church that is? We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. So that's, that's why we should all feel safe here. Because I'm one too. I'm one too. And so we're not in this neighborhood by accident. Here, this physical place. We're not here by accident. We've been praying about relocating to the hilltop and to uh, the Franklinton neighborhoods for a while now. Um, And by God's grace, through a lot of prayer, talking to a lot of folks, it became apparent that that reality was beginning to take place. 
And what's cool is it's, it's exactly what God called Jonah to do. It's what God's calling us to do, to be in the city and to be for the city. And so we're not coming in here as weird like crusaders or knights in shining armor. We're going to change the neighborhood. We're going to come in here and hold like a big Easter egg hunt. And you know, I'm sorry. We just want to come and we just want to be a part of the neighborhood. There's so much to learn from the ministry that's already happening. There's so many people that have poured their life for years here. And we just want to come alongside and say, we're here. We're here. We're here. We want to learn. We want to love. Um, and one of the big reasons is the ministry that we're partnered with, um, the refuge guys. They, they, uh, they live here. They live here. And so we just wanted to, we just wanted to be here. And um, everything I've talked to about so, with so many pastors, urban ministry is hard because so many people want to leave. They go to the suburbs, man. Urban flight is what they call it. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it such a, a message of the gospel that we would come and we would just be present and just do what we can, not come off like some arrogant weirdos. Just be present. Try to love people. Try to be like Jesus. And so honestly, I, I just want to invite you to join us. We're going to be a simple church. Uh, we're, if you're looking for hype and pizzazz, we're probably not going to bedazzle you. But you can come back when you're done with your fix. Okay? Because ultimately, I think God's call to Jonah is God's call to all of us. Jesus' last words in Matthew, and I'm done. I'm sorry, I'm going over. But Jesus' last, last words in Matthew, it's often called the Great Commission. And man, have we rom- we've romanticized this. But he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I've been guilty of this. But so many of the church, what we do when we read this is we say, Oh, yes, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Yes. I'll go wherever. I'll serve wherever. I'll be wherever. We want to be a Great Commission church. We're going to be a Matthew 28 church. And our story has been God's like, Okay, go to the hilltop. I need to go back in my prayer closet. Lord, Lord, I did, Lord, where do you want us to go, Jesus, and, and go to the hilltop? Friends, let's not try to be simply another cool, hip church. We've got a lot of young folks in here. That's awesome. Let's be a place where poor people and people of different colors and races and sizes feel welcome. In other words, let's be a church where Jesus would hang out. Pray with me. Lord, I'm just overwhelmed by your graciousness. Because I don't deserve to be up here. I know all these people serving, and none of us deserve. If everyone knew our stories, if we put our stories up on the screen, everybody would run away in terror. But God, like Jonah, you call us. Come follow me, man. I know you're messed up.
I know you're broken. I know you got some deep stuff to work out. But you welcome us in. You welcome us in. God, I pray that as we continue on with this gathering, with many gatherings for weeks and weeks to come, when we break bread together, when we remember your body broken and your blood shed, when we drink coffee with one another, when we spend time with one another, that we would just be strengthened in your gospel. That we would learn to see past the consumeristic, quick fix ism of our culture. And that we would just learn to be in your presence. That we'd quit searching for big words that make us feel cool or emotional experiences that make us feel good. That we would just be in your presence. That we learn how to be quiet. we learn how to shut up and listen. And that we would just be honest about all of our all of our insecurities and fears and prejudices and doubts and unbelief because we're human and we need you to change us. We need you to transform us. So I just pray that you begin to do that. You just begin to do that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Refuge Church in Grove City, Ohio. For more information about the Refuge Church, please visit therefugechurch.org. That does it for today's podcast. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.